Welcome to Fight Back Radio, the Marxist voice of labor and youth in Canada, and the best source for a revolutionary analysis of current events, perspectives, and theory. In this talk from the 2023 Montreal Marxist Winter School, Fight Back editor Alex Grant discusses the 1903 Bolshevik-Menshevik split and what revolutionaries can learn from it today. It really is amazing looking at hundreds and hundreds of comrades here. Only the ideas and methods of Lenin could have brought us to today. And this school, the theme of this school is the Revolutionary Party. I don't know if any of you think that that's an accident. It is very clearly not an accident. We chose to theme this school around the idea of the revolutionary organization. Because on the Canadian left, on the international left, this is the key question. There isn't much debate, actually, between different left-wing organizations. Most of the left is incredibly miserable, disunited, and, and doesn't know what they're doing. They do not know what is to be done. They do know one thing. You must not build a revolutionary party. Or, or some of them agree, actually, oh yes, oh, I'm in favor of a revolutionary party, but not today, some other day, who knows when, who knows where. No. The time is now. The place is here. And th these can seem very old ideas, very old debates. They are old ideas. They are old debates. There is very little new under the sun. But some say you can't learn from history and theory. But we have built to this point by studying history and theory. And that's why we're starting this school with a discussion on the beginning of the idea of a revolutionary party, the foundations of a Leninist Bolshevik organization. And that's Lenin's What is to be Done and the Bolshevik-Menshevik split. So where to begin? Well, I won't start with where to begin, that comes later. It's a joke for some of the comrades who know what I'm about to say. I'll begin with ideas. Without ideas, everything else is irrelevant. There's no such thing as organization for organization's sake. You need to start with great ideas and great theory. And actually, that's a lesson for any of the comrades who are in isolated areas. If you're listening to this online and you're, you, know, you don't have an organization in your, your area, the place to start is ideas and theory. And the ideas of the international Marxist tendency have shown themselves to work because they're continuation of the great ideas of Marx, of Lenin, of Trotsky. So the birth of Russian Marxism was the revolutionary ideas of Plekhanov. A small circle, the emancipation of labor group. And they started putting forward theory in the sort of mostly anarchist-dominated movement of the time. Just like half a dozen of them. This was against anarchism for the working class. This itself is still a controversial idea. Does the working class even exist? Said by people who are getting deliveries from Amazon every day. We wonder how those packages just magically arrive on people's doorsteps. Not a light shines, not a wheel turns without the kind permission of the working class. The great statement of Ted Grant, which is going to be the last session of this school. And against, for a revolution against the Russian autocracy. And Plekhanov's group started winning the battle of ideas and started attracting more and more young revolutionary fighters. They had this uh, the problem, how do we get to the working class? 
and, and there was a, a revolution in their practice. There was a, a great uh, turn towards agitation. So uniting the Marxist theory with propaganda and agitation. Now Plekhanov defined the difference between theory, propaganda and agitation. Theory is the transmission of many ideas to a small number of people. While propaganda and agitation are a smaller number of ideas to a wider layer of the population. And, and the revolutionaries at the end of the 19th century in Russia, they, they, they support workers' struggles. They write exposures of injustices in the factories. And, and they linked that to the corruption of the autocracy. And it was hugely popular amongst the workers, could lead to you know, strikes on a regular basis. And, and this is when the, the small group of theorists started to put flesh on the bones of the, their organization. Of course, the, uh, the czarist autocracy didn't just sit there and let revolutionaries peacefully propagandize. That, that they attacked the young workers, the, the, student, the revolutionary students. Actually, going back a little bit, uh, the, there's a new layer of young revolutionaries were coming up that read uh, Plekhanov's writings and, and thought, this is fantastic, uh, we need to put this into practice. And two of the, the key young revolutionaries were Lenin and, uh, and Martov. So you unite the, the revolutionary activism of the youth with the theory of Plekhanov and, and taking that theory into agitation into the workplaces. But then the empire strikes back. The, uh, the autocracy institutes arrests of revolutionaries. So little revolutionary circles would pop up like mushrooms after a storm. But then the autocracy would come in and arrest everybody. This happened to Lenin, this happened to Martov. And, and this had uh, the effect of lowering the political level of the revolutionary activists. So that the head of the groups were cut off and, and, the, and the younger comrades stepped up. And, and that's, that's to the credit or to the comrades on the ground. You do this enough times and it really starts lowering the level of uh, the leading comrades on the ground. And, and, and some of the theory was lost. And so there was a, a, a new idea amongst these, the youth who are on a lower level. So, so they saw the success of agitation. And, and, and it was more difficult to explain theoretical ideas to the workers, especially when the students didn't understand these ideas very well themselves. So there was a layer who started to theorize this ignorance. Maybe we can put all this talk of political revolution on the side, fight for higher wages. Now, of course, we are in favor of higher wages. Marxist revolutionaries aren't opposed to reforms. We just explain that no reform is sustainable under capitalism. Actually, one of the best ways to achieve partial gains is to fight for revolution. But this trend, who said just focus on economics, was called by Lenin and the, other, and the left wing economism. Again, this is still present in the movement today. Don't worry about politics. Workers don't understand those things. Don't worry about theory. No, no, nobody cares about this abstract stuff. You know, we, we just we need something concrete today. The irony is, is those who are fighting for something, only something concrete today, end up not organizing. Whereas we have this fantastic school on the basis of theory. And what this is is a crass workerism in that it talks down to working class people. Working class people don't understand or, or don't care about theory. Reality is exactly the opposite. You could put out a, a flyer or a paper that says, you know, fight the bosses, we need higher wages. Worker read that and go, yeah, cool, yeah, fight the bosses, we need higher wages. And the next paper is, 
Fight the bosses, we need higher wages. Yeah, yeah, that's right. This paper is, fight the bosses, higher wages. Look, it's gonna go, I know this. You're not teaching me anything that's useful. You know, it, it's like uh, you know, carpenter and, and the instruction book says, hit it with a hammer. There are many more tools in carpentry, so I've heard. Workers want theory. Actually, the irony is, is that the economists, for all their pandering to the workers, didn't actually have any workers. They were overwhelmingly petty bourgeois academics, pandering to workers. The irony of this is, is the groups that take a similar position today are overwhelmingly grad students or ex-grad students. And the revolutionary politics have been completely removed. Idea for a revolution against the autocracy, a revolution against capitalism. And functionally, the effect of economism is to cede the ground of politics to the liberals. Again, very similar to groups today. And this corresponded by, with a, a reformist trend in the international Marxist movement. That the movement is everything, the final goal is nothing. So you had an incredible ideological throw, throwing back of the revolutionary movement in Russia. And, and with the repeated arrests, the movement became atomized, amateur, dislocated, with extreme localism. So like, little groups would pop up in a city and then, and then be pushed down to have like one or two or even three issues of a paper before uh, it was destroyed. And to be frank, the, the majority of the left in Russia had been won to economism, been won to these reformist, amateurist ideas, just like today. So, Lenin wasn't very happy about this, and neither was Plekhanov and Martov. And, and, and they started a movement to fight back against economism. Uh, Lenin wrote two fantastic books. Well, well, the first one is an article, Where to Begin, and the second one is his famous, What is to be Done. So, he declared war on economism and reformism, declared war on revisionism and amateurism, and said, we need theory. Without revolutionary theory, there can be no revolutionary movement. The economists put heavy emphasis on, on spontaneity of the masses, similar to the anarchists. Lenin and Marxism does not uh, deny spontaneity. There's an element of spontaneity in every mass movement. There is a dialectical link between spontaneity and organization. Yes, a movement can burst up spontaneously, but is it going to win? And for that, you need the correct ideas and the correct organization. It's a learn from past struggles. That's what theory and history is all about. And we're not just a trade union. We're not just fighting for a kopeck on the ruble, a penny on the dollar. No, we're not looking for trade union functionaries, not lo looking to lower the political level to basic economic demands. We're looking to raise consciousness from economic demands, potentially, but all of the issues that affect the workers and the oppressed. The fight for justice, the fight to emancipate women, student struggle. Lenin said we don't need trade union functionaries. We need to be tribunes of the people. Every single issue that concerns the masses. We need to save the best fighters from every struggle. So, for, so you can take those fighters from one struggle and then take them to the next struggle. Concentrate your forces on the best sector of the battlefield. Don't have an atomized, disunited movement. You have a united movement that can focus the fight. All 
all forces to the point of attack with the aim of uniting all against capitalism, the autocracy. This meant a war on localism, provincialism and local particularism. Yeah, petty provincialism, that might be an issue that would resonate in Canada. And, and this striving for autonomy, uh, no matter how much it weakens the movement as a whole. Yeah, Lenin used the term autonomism, which I guess isn't current language, but I'll use it occasionally. Autonomism versus a centrally organized revolutionary party that can focus the fight. Lenin argued for a united struggle, in unity is strength, revolutionary organization with a, a professional recognized elected and accountable leadership a centralized party but under democratic centralism you know democratically uh, accountable to the ranks for the democracy for the education but in struggle united and centralized he also argued for professionalism against the amateurism of the movement and the need to develop professional revolutionaries that leadership is not a bad thing Leadership isn't just a sort of like an inevitable function of large numbers of people. Somebody who has just joined the movement doesn't have the same understanding and experience of somebody who's been there 10, 20, 30 or more years. And the most self-sacrificing and educated elements do have a role to educate the rest of the movement. And they should be liberated from the working grind in order to play that educational leading role. To be the memory of the working class. Generalize those lessons. If it's united with an educated and accountable membership, that there is no danger of bureaucratism. Actually, a healthy leadership is the precondition for a genuine democratic education of the working class and the membership. Lenin argued small circle face where petty personal issues and friendships predominated over the struggle. No, we need a serious organization that puts politics first. No getting offended over petty things. Put your ego aside and play whatever role you can to forward the struggle. And, and he ended it by a really important uh, uh, statement that we need to unite all the disparate elements by an all-Russian revolutionary Marxist newspaper. That the line would be decided democratically in a Congress, which would then elect an editorial board and a central committee who would be responsible for putting that line into practice. But that paper was not just a propagandist and educator. The banner of the party, most importantly, a revolutionary organizer. And that's why we have a special session on the revolutionary publication during this school. Organic link between the paper and the organization. How many of us have heard uh, people on the left complaining about Trotskyite paper sellers? All the hands are going up. And what, what are they really attacking? Attacking the revolutionary organization. They say, oh no, no, oh you can't have a paper. What they're saying is you cannot organize. Some of them may deny that, but that's what they are saying because the paper is the heart, the center of a revolutionary organization. The debates to decide the line of that paper are absolutely vital for the collective education and unity. And, and all of the lines of distribution are the bones, the sinews of that revolutionary organization. And, and, and when you've built that on a, a strong foundation, Lenin used the analogy of a scaffold. 
then it can put on flesh of the mass of the workers. So we'll, we'll have a great session on that uh, uh, later this weekend. So uh, Lenin and Martov and Plekhanov founded the revolutionary paper Iskra. And when they launched Iskra, yes, they, the Iskraites were in a minority against the economists, but they declared ideological war on amateurism. That they helped organize and unite all of the disparate groups and were arguing for a unity congress of the Russian Marxists. And this took us up to the famous 1903 Second Congress of the Russian Social Democracy. It, it's kind of accidental that it was called the Second Congress. The first one wasn't well attended and everyone got arrested. So it really was functionally the first Congress. And so the, the Congress was set up as a fight between, between the Iskarites and the economists. There were 43 delegates present including some of the, the best leaders of the Russian revolutionary movement. And it became apparent that the Iskra group had the majority. Lenin, Martov, Plekhanov could count on about 33 votes for Iskra. While the economists and uh, the Jewish group, the Bund, could count on eight, eight votes. There was an autonomous group of Jewish revolutionaries called the Bund who largely held economist views, but their main issue was autonomism. So only they had the right to speak on behalf of Jewish workers. And they, and they organized unions for only Jewish workers, opposed to a united union of all of uh, the working class, or workers in a workplace. Now, they were revolutionary Marxists, and, and much of what they did was praiseworthy. They had these weaknesses on autonomism and economism. So the, the Congress opened up with a vote on the question of autonomous groupings. And so, so various other sort of regional papers and regional grouplets who just wanted to retain their own autonomy uh, for no political reason. Actually, there, there was a, uh, another paper, I forget the name, that was very similar politically to Iskra. It had developed independently and was a smaller group. And they really just wanted to retain uh, their name uh, for ego reasons, you know, so like, well, we developed independently, we don't want to give up our name. Well, well done for developing independently, but how does that help the working class? So there was a vote against this and the Iskra uh, group won. And there was a debate on the Bund. Does it have the right to, to represent solely Jewish workers? Now, you may be able to interpret what type of politics the Bund was defending. This is identity politics. Nothing new under the sun. One of the most pressing uh, debates of the movement today. And so Trotsky and Martov, who were both Jewish, led the debate against uh, the Bund autonomism. The of the Congress voted for Iskra. So there was victory for Iskra centralism, democratic centralism, all the way down the line. So, so it really looked like Lenin's ideas and what's to be done were going to unite the revolutionary movement. But that's not quite what happened. So then they moved on to the criteria for membership. And, and Lenin put forward uh, three conditions for membership. I, I may add, these are very similar to the conditions to be a member of the IMT. You must agree with the platform, be a Marxist. You must give financially, make yeah. sacrifice. And you must participate as a member in one of the organizations of the party, basically attend branch. Now Martov agreed, and then Martov came up, no, 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 I'm gonna amend this. Okay, I agree on the first two things, I agree with the platform, give financially. But on the third point, he said, well, rather than participate in the organization, cooperate with the organization. Participate versus cooperate. It seems so very small. What did that actually mean? Martov had in mind, 
What about a liberal professor? Well, you know, okay, they can, they can agree with Marxism. Money's not a problem for these people. But going to branch meetings with dirty workers and then have these workers tell me what I have to do? Well, that's a violation of my personal freedom, my individual autonomy. And so Martov was showing a, a softness, a bending to petty bourgeois public opinion, and to dissolve the revolutionary organization in the mass. But Lenin actually lost this vote. Economists and the Bund voted with Marta. The vote was 28 to 23. So for the first time, the Iskra camp was split. Now Lenin said, well, this is unfortunate, but you know, a, a small weakness in the rules isn't gonna make a fundamental difference. Only subsequently it became clear what this was meaning. Congress continues. And at the end of the Congress is the question of electing the editorial board and the central committee, the leadership. And especially the editorial board was a point of contention. Lenin proposed a three-member EB, Polekhanov, Lenin, and Martov. And that three-member EB could then co-opt other members as necessary. Martov, on the other hand, proposed a six-member EB, which was the entirety of the old Iskra editorial board. Now, Lenin explained, well, the old EB was fine when we were more informal now we are forming a serious revolutionary party to unite all of the working class. And 90% of the work, 90% of the articles were written by Lenin, Martov, and Plekhanov. It's a huge explosion, huge argument. This is an insult. There you insult the other members of the editorial board. That a hysterical atmosphere was created. Where Lenin was saying, we need professionalism. This, this argue about this is an insult, oh, that's just prestige politics. Instead, Martov and his supporters accused Lenin of dictatorship and Bonapartism. And, and, and Martov ends up losing this vote, because the economists in the Bund had previously walked out of the Congress. And, and many of you know this, this is the original origin of the terms Bolshevik and Menshevik. Bolsheviki, the majorityites, and the Mensheviki, the minorityites. It is merely the accident of the vote at the 1903 Congress on the editorial board, which is the difference between the words Bolshevik and Menshevik. And instead of accepting the will of the majority, uh, the Mensheviks started a civil war in the party. Martov refused to sit on the EB. There was you know, a boycott and a, a splitting attempt in the party, sabotage. Functionally, sort of like organizational terrorist methods, all or ruin, as the minority attempted to turn them into a majority tried to conciliate with them, apologized and said, look, maybe I was a bit sharp occasionally. He offered to co-opt the entire old editorial board. And, and, and they just responded, you're a dictator, you're terrible. And so Lenin was like lost, and like, what does this even mean? And so he sat down and, and wrote one step forward, two steps back, to really understand the meaning behind this split. And, and, and this, I actually, Comrade should read that book, because it cuts across all the sort of liberal anarchist lies about the Bolshevik-Menshevik split. Like if you, if you read liberal history, you'll find that the 1903 split is about the autocrat Lenin versus the Democrat Martov. There is an entire industry of creating lies about Lenin and the Bolsheviks. It has no relation to reality at all. It ignores the fact that both Lenin and Martov were part of Iskra. They all agreed with what is to be done. We're all for centralism, democratic centralism against autonomism. Part of the membership led the debate against the Bund. So they all supposedly agreed. 
on paper. So, but what was the reality? What was the real difference between the Bolsheviks and the Mensheviks? Here was the difference between the hards and the softs. The Mensheviks was soft on the academics. They were soft on petty bourgeois public opinion. They bended to alien class ideas. Have we heard that before? That is a pr permanent pressure in the movement. Working class is not isolated from other classes in society. Revolutionaries aren't isolated from other classes in society. That pressure comes in, you must bend, you must bend, you must bend. And instead, we shall not bend between the hards and the soft. We will defend the ideas of a Bolshevik revolutionary party. We'll fight amateurism, we'll fight reformism and economism, we'll fight petty bourgeois identity politics. The, the Mensheviks were bending to this anarchist idea of personal freedom. Bolsheviks were hard against external pressure and reformism. It's a great word. Hands up who's in favor of freedom? Most everybody. <laughs> but freedom in that word can mean a great number of different things. The uh, great bourgeois revolutions were fought under the banner of freedom, Let, yet led to the slavery of the working class. Freedom means a great different things to a great number of people. How do workers get their freedom? Does an individual worker have any freedom at all? Individual worker has no freedom. Individual worker is just raw material for exploitation. The only freedom for working class people is through collective organization, uniting with their co-workers, by uniting as a class, going on strike, demanding concessions from the capitalist, by forming a revolutionary party, working class party, with revolutionary ideas that can overthrow the capitalist club as the oppression and the exploitation of the working class in its DNA. Only freedom for working class people is in collective organization. What is the freedom for the intellectual? How does the intellectual advance his interests? By personal autonomy. Tell me what to do. I will sort that out myself. I have my freedom by being free from discipline. This is the freedom of the petty bourgeois, highly associated with individualism. This is a very, very current debate. Just go on Twitter and you will see the glorification of individualism. Like some people even have many individual psychologies, identities on Twitter. It is not through individualism that the working class achieves its freedom. That is the psychology of the petty bourgeois intellectual. And that was the fundamental fight between Bolshevism and Menshevism. This revolutionary centralism and discipline against bending to public opinion. And so Lenin fought for a, a, a disciplined revolutionary party with clear lines of demarcation. And he said, you know, before we can unite, we must know what our differences are. And, and this is the, the principle, if you like, of principled unity. And as opposed to the general idea on the left of unprincipled unity. Lack of confidence in your own ideas, a lack of confidence in your own methods, and the idea that you just unite more and more people. Numbers will get you there. Well, it's kind of like paddling a canoe. You think Thank that you. you've got more paddlers and you can go faster. Well, that only works if everybody's paddling in the same direction. If one of your paddlers is going in the other direction, you're only going to go around in circles. Is the lesson of days left. So this meeting today, 
As far as I can tell, this is the largest meeting of the revolutionary left in Canada in a generation. This has been done on the basis of crystal clear ideas, not watering anything down. Actually, there's an anecdote from the 1903 Congress. One of the Mensheviks said, oh, this is terrible, uh, all of this argument and disagreement. Lenin responded, no, it's fantastic. A clear presentation of ideas, a clear debate, then a clear unity on the basis of a vote. That's how we will build principled unity. And, and I said, yeah, this is the largest meeting in a generation. As far as I can tell, the last meeting this size was in the year 2000. In Toronto, there was a, a meeting called Rebuilding the Left. And they, and they apparently had 700 people there. Quite impressive, more than the 450 we've got here today. And they had a slogan of what they were trying to do at that Rebuilding the Left meeting. More than a coalition, but less than a party. Hands up, anybody in this room who heard of Rebuilding the Left before this week? Approximately five comrades put their hands up. The 450, that's quite impressive. Why do you, have you never heard of this thing? This mutant hybrid beast. Because they had nothing in common, they had no principled unity, and they died. Mutual recriminations. Actually, they, they attempted it again a few years later. Uh, there was a group called Greater Toronto Workers' Assembly. And, and I think they had like 300 people. And they'd learned the lessons of the failure of uh, rebuilding the left. We made the mistake of being too socialist. You need to lower the level even further, and then we'll get unity. But actually, you lower the level even further, what do you get? Everybody agree on? Reformism. See reforms. Economism. No, if you want to have a revolutionary perspective to overthrow capitalism, you need crystal clear revolutionary theory. You need to know what is right and what is wrong. You need to know which side of the barricade you're standing on. And that's the method we are using. Now, at the time, nobody really understood the Bolshevik-Menshevik split. The, uh, the revolutionaries away from the Congress thought, have they gone mad? And, and it seems you know, something entirely accidental just due to the egos of the personalities. I, I, I won't deny that uh, sometimes uh, individuals can get into personality conflicts and sometimes they can get quite heated. That's happened in the history of the movement. But if it's not fundamental, people will find a way to get back together again. If you have a fundamental agreement on the issues at hand, you will find a way to unite and, and put any personal issues aside. Plekhanov was apparently a really difficult guy to work with and used to sort of insult Lenin and Martov on a regular basis. But Lenin understood the needs of the, uh, the movement and took a deep breath and was patient with Plekhanov because of his fantastic theoretical role. And so here, here you can see the accidental element in personalities. 1903, Plekhanov was a Bolshevik and united with Lenin. And, but subsequently, the weaknesses in his character came out, and he, he completely capitulated uh, to the Mensheviks. Eventually, ended up even more right-wing than the Mensheviks, and took a social patriotic position on the First World War. There's one personal uh, accident, that he was in Bolshevism. He couldn't make the transition from theory to revolutionary practice. Another accident was Leon Trotsky, very young at the time, and he admitted that he got 
you know, carried away with his emotions. He bolted with the Mensheviks, and, and was a Menshevik for a few months after the Congress. But as they started moving rightwards and capitulating to the Liberals, a few months later, Trotsky broke with the Mensheviks, held an independent position between the two factions for uniting with the Bolsheviks in 1917. When there, are, when there is political agreement, genuine agreement, that will bring the best elements together. Principled unity. We are in favor of unity. Principled unity. Unprincipled unity is uniting two groups or three groups into 20 groups. Now, and does anybody mourn the Bolshevik-Menshevik split today? <laughs> oh no, we lost so many comrades. I was really good friends with Martov. Actually, it's true. Lenin was really, really good friends with Martov. He always had a soft spot for Martov. In the following decades, whenever Martov made a, a left movement, you know, Lenin got all excited about it. You know, so, oh, maybe we can patch things up and work together again. Uh, Martov could not break with his uh, more right-wing friends. So, it, so it's, it's, it's not a question of personalities. Splits are inevitable. Anybody who got involved in the revolutionary struggle never to have a split, oh, you might as well just split now. Gonna happen. And it's a clarification. Anybody who got in the struggle just to have friends, well, you have a very narrow group view of friends then. I'm afraid my definition of friend isn't someone who 100% politically agrees with me on everything. Yeah, get better friends. Friendship is friendship, but politics is politics. It's too serious. This is the emancipation of the working class. This is the destruction of the system of capitalism. It's a professional revolutionary organization that is willing to overcome every barrier. And yes, if you disagree with your friends, okay. You must do what is necessary to emancipate the working class. So splits are not a bad thing. Sometimes they are a very, very good thing. If we weren't prepared to have splits, we would not be here today with the clear ideas we have. Clarification. Engels said this. The party becomes stronger by purging itself. So nobody mourns the 1903 split. It was necessary. And, and you saw, instead of it being accidental, in, in a way, the, the, the actual arguments themselves were accidental. Who cares if there's three people versus six people in an editorial board? But they were an accident that expressed necessity. There were fundamentally different philosophical underpinnings of those two tendencies. Instead of coming back together like Lenin and Trotsky did, Bolshevism and Menshevism had a repelling tendency, and the differences widened. And the Mensheviks increasingly came to be sympathetic to the liberals and organizationally diffuse that the Mensheviks were based on a very small number of wealthy donors, but the Bolsheviks were organized on the copex of the masses. And, th and that determines your politics. Organization flows from theory, and theory in turn is informed by your organization. The Mensheviks adopted the two-stage theory that the working class cannot be the lead class to overthrow the autocracy. Instead, it was the duty of the working class to back up the so-called liberal progressive bourgeoisie. Lenin fundamentally fought against this idea. And without this idea of the progressive bourgeoisie, the Russian Revolution would never have happened in opposition to the progressive bourgeoisie. The Stalinists subsequently took that two-stage theory out of the Menshevik garbage of history. So, the Bolsheviks had an implacable approach to the liberal progressive bourgeois.
I, I use the term progressive bourgeois, the extreme quotation marks. And a party of a new type. A party never before seen in human history. This is the unique contribution of Lenin, comrades. That the, the, the structure and the idea of the revolutionary organization. Of course, others had organized revolutionary parties, but, but none quite like Lenin. And he began building it in, uh, in 1903, building the Bolshevik faction. And, and, and none of his contemporaries did the same. Trotsky didn't understand this at the time. Martov definitely didn't understand it. Luxembourg didn't understand it. Kautsky, Connolly, none of them understood it. Lenin had this view of what is to be done, what needs to be built to make the revolution succeed. And that is a struggle of decades, comrades. That party of a new type that unites all sectors of the struggle that learns from victory and learns from defeats. The memory of the working class intervenes in every struggle of the oppressed. Black Lives Matter, Quebec student strike, Idle No More, the QP Ontario education workers strike. All of these fantastic movements putting forward a revolutionary Marxist perspective. The best methods to win, the best organization to win, best ideas to win uniting all of those struggles with the perspective of the overthrow of capitalism. Because all of these particular struggles are merely manifestations of the generalized crisis. If you don't build a revolutionary organization out of all of these movements, that inevitably all of these movements must end. And then you go back to zero. Nothing is saved, nothing is learned. Oh, we save those lessons, we save the best fighters. So instead of those small, isolated individuals, you go from 10 to 20, and then 20 to 50, 50 to 100, 200, 500, 1,000. I'm describing the future of this school, comrades. 1,000, 5,000, 10,000. The future of the revolutionary organization. Yes, there's this idea, oh, you must do everything to build the movement. There's no time to build a revolutionary organization. You must build the movement. What are you doing to build the movement today? Well, the fact is, I know what builds the movement. What builds the movement? Capitalism builds the movement. Justice of the system builds the movement. If you look at the long view of history, you see mass movements are again and again and again and again. Workers aren't children. We don't just lecture them and say, oh, your life is bad. Yeah, I know, I looked at my bank account. Workers want to know what is to be done. Workers, you know, and the movements happen, but they lose. Why do they lose? They lose because they are led by cowards. They're led by reformists. Sometimes they're led by Stalinists. They're led by those who are wedded to capitalism do not have a revolutionary socialist perspective. And in that sense, defeat is inherent in reformism. They are not willing to go beyond the limits of capitalism. And at capitalism in crisis, no reforms are sustainable. Only the only reforms that are won are through revolutionary struggle. But are we just happy to allow every movement to go down to defeat due to bad leadership? No, you must build the revolutionary leadership now. But of course, I can't just click my fingers and we have you know, 100,000 revolutionary Marxists. You've got to get there. Educate people, train people in theory, train people in transitional demands that can reach the masses. The theory and made it, make it understandable to workers without dumbing it down one little bit. Raise people's sights to the overthrow of capitalism. Can unite the best fighters on that basis? It'll take a while. It's better than doing nothing. And eventually, from the, we get the freedom to have a say. From being small and powerless, 
we begin to develop an organization that can be a lever to move the masses. And the masses enter struggle. Sooner or later is an inevitability. Because revolutions are inevitable, comrades. Earthquakes or hurricanes, these are uh, rare violent events, but they are an absolute scientific inevitability. Right? And actually, you're, you're seeing the lack of foresight in Turkey and Syria right now. Are, are the tens of thousands of people who've been tragically killed in that earthquake due to the earthquake? Oh, the, the earthquake is inevitable. Going to happen sooner or later. There's going to be a massive earthquake on the west coast of North America at some point. Could happen next week, could happen 200 years from now. The question is, is the system able to prepare for it? Are we able to prepare for the inevitable earthquake of politics? Are we able to prepare for the inevitable revolutionary movements that are to come? And that's building the Bolshevik revolutionary organization. Is it education? It's also a selection. Only through the living struggle you can determine who is reliable and who will desert. Who is a Bolshevik and who is a Menshevik. So we are building a Bolshevik organization, comrades. IMT is an unapologetic, orthodox Marxist international based upon the ideas of Marx, Engels, Lenin and Trotsky. Lenin was able to build this in the years up to 1917. And only because he had that perspective were the Bolsheviks able to win power in 1917. That this is what is necessary to overthrow capitalism. Able to turn the inevitable revolutions and struggles to come into victorious struggles and victorious revolutions. There is no other way than building the revolutionary party. That is the only way forward if we want to lead the workers to victory and overthrow this corrupt capitalist system. Let's do it, comrades. Forward to victory. Thank you for listening to Fight Back Radio. Fight Back is a revolutionary organization fighting for the socialist transformation of society. We are the Canadian section of the International Marxist Tendency. We actively seek to educate workers and youth in the genuine ideas of Marxism in order to fight back against capitalist attacks and austerity and bring an end to capitalism. However, we won't be able to do this on our own. So if you agree with us, get involved. We can be found online at marxist.ca, on Twitter, Facebook, and TikTok at Canada Marxists, on Instagram at Socialist Fightback, and on YouTube as Fightback La Riposte. For international news and analysis, check out In Defense of Marxism at marxist.com. The music in this episode was General Strike by Soul Jazz Orchestra. They can be found at souljazzorchestra.com.